So we are up uh, uh, in our uh, series on Philippians to uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 14. Before I read that text, guess what? Next Sunday is the first day of Eastern Standard Time. Did you know that? It's true. Amazing. We've made it to uh, the first uh, weekend in November. So uh, that means fall back, get an extra hour of sleep. It's the favorite time of the year. Um, but just we will let you know that probably three or four more times uh, this week. But, um, yeah, uh, daylight savings time comes to an end. So that means it'll be a little lighter in the morning and a lot darker at night, so in the afternoon. So uh, just to, to help you uh, know that and remember that, especially if you're tuning in on the live stream, um, yeah, just to, you know, be aware of that. Um, so we're going to look at Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 14. Paul's uh, talking about his suffering in, in prison. We have, we, uh, we have a lot of sufferers. In our congregation, we, we, we suffer a lot. Almost none of us have ever suffered in, in the way in which Paul is talking about in uh, this uh, situation here uh, in, in this text. However, there's much we can learn about the purpose of God and the work of God, uh, even as we can consider that uh, today. So uh, before I read it, let me pray, and then uh, I'll read to you uh, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. Um, pray with me. Lord, as we come to you, we thank you for um, the reality that uh, though we are weak and we suffer and life is often difficult for us, uh, it does not prevent the spread of the gospel. In fact, uh, uh, your work to uh, bring your kingdom, your work to uh, uh, advance the good news of Jesus Christ uh, um, stands uh, and goes. We come and we go. As the scriptures say, we are uh, just a vapor, really. Uh, but uh, your kingdom is forever. And so would you bless us with a sense of courage and joy in that today? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians 1, 12 through 14, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. As Kevin mentioned, it is uh, for many folks today we recognize uh, across the world uh, the um, uh, the beginning, uh, although it had been stirring for uh, decades, really, the Protestant Reformation when um, uh, Martin Luther went and uh, nailed those 95 theses on the, uh, the uh, uh, church in Wittenberg. Um, just to kind of illustrate what we're talking about in this text today, about the fact that suffering and difficulty and change actually uh, stands to uh, advance the gospel, Martin Luther would have never dreamed that now, all these years later, what the effect of his work would have been. 
And, I, and let me make that clear to you. So uh, there, there's a way to look at maps and a way to look at geography that says, uh, like, the, the uh, center point of a, uh, the population in a particular area, the geographical uh, uh, spot where uh, if you take a region where the, the uh, it, and you draw, draw out a circle, that place kind of encapsulates most of, 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 of a population in an area. To illustrate, it used to be, I don't know if it's still the case or not, but the, the, the population center uh, in the greater Richmond area was approximately the uh, intersection of uh, Huguenot Road and Chippenham Parkway. So that the population was kind of generally spread from there and that that was actually the center. Well, the center today of the Lutheran Church, population center of the Lutheran Church today, is right smack dab in the middle of the continent of Africa. So if you take the world's population and you want to see where Lutherans are, the, the, it's, you, you, you don't center it in Germany, <laughs> right? Or even America. It's right in the heart of Africa. Isn't that a pretty, that's a pretty profound thing, right? To think about that, that, you know, here we are all these years later, that the work of God, that, that what, what God did there in and through, uh, uh, the work of Martin Luther actually now, today, all these years later, is centered somewhere uh, Martin Luther had n- probably no dream that the gospel would actually go there, right? And yet that is where the, pop- <laughs> you know, there are probably more, uh, uh, gospel-believing Lutherans uh, in the continent of Africa than there is in the continent of Europe. Right? And that, that's pretty crazy to, to think about. So one of the things that we tend to think about in America when we read a text like this about someone suffering for the sake of the gospel, uh, we try to try to figure out, for many of us, what that would look like and what that w- what what that would be like. But the fact of the matter is, for most of us, uh, we've never been in a situation where we were literally chained to someone else because we proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody might have made fun of us. Neighbors might have complained about too many cars parked on the street because of your Bible study. But for most of us here in North America... That's not something that we've ever had to experience. Praise, praise God, right? That's, uh, we don't want to borrow uh, and seek any kind of trouble, but that's, that's the case. And yet, there's much we can learn uh, this morning as we think about our own difficulties, we think about our own suffering, that we can learn from what Paul is going through as he writes here to this church in Philippi about what's happening to him and what the result of that happening is. Now, if, you, if, if we had time, we could go back to Acts 21 and, and begin reading through all the things that happened to lead Paul to this place where he is now chained uh, to a uh, 24 hours a day to a, um, a, a Roman soldier, right? Uh, and that, that as he awaits his final trial and disposition of his case uh, before, uh, before the imperial court. And so uh, he had, you know, his heart, his drive, his reason for being, his, his life was about getting the gospel out and about planting churches, right? That's, 
That's what we know about the New Testament. Much of the New Testament is about his work of planting, the, of planting churches, spreading the gospel across the then known world. Well, he was trying to do that. He was thwarted by doing that. And now here he is uh, for a number, for, for quite some time, he has been locked away uh, in Rome, unable to travel and do the work that he believes and that rightly so that God had called him to do. So here he is. They're in, in that situation. Now, just imagine uh, if you're in Philippi and you knew Paul, you're Lydia or you're the jailer or somebody like that, and you've been waiting to hear about what's going on with him. You have wanted to know, is, is he okay? What's happening with him in jail? What, what, is it that, what is it that's going on with him? Is he even still alive, Right? And so what he uh, what what's amazing to me is Paul writes to the church in Philippi, thanking them for the gift that they sent him. And he doesn't tell them how he's doing until you get to to, uh, verse 12. So I can just imagine when they opened the letter, when they got it, they wanted to know, wait, how's he doing? Is he getting out? What's happening? And so when we get to verse 12, as we've, as we've read here, he says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really advanced the gospel. Now, what, what, you're, if you're used to Philippians, if you know anything about this, you probably don't think much about that. But if I were writing Philippians, I would say, hey, pray that I get out of here. Now, certainly, I'm sure they were doing that, right? I'm certainly that they were, that they were um, concerned that he be set free, that his life be preserved. But Paul's primary concern is not that he be set free, but that in whatever circumstance he finds himself and whatever circumstance we find ourselves, that the important thing is, is that the kingdom of God is advancing, that the gospel is actually having its effect. That's a, that is, that, and this is strong medicine, isn't it? Because we, we tend to think most, much of our prayer life, much of our concern in our lives is about not the advancement of the gospel so much, but that, uh, things would go well for us. Things would go well for the people that we love. That, that there would be relief from suffering and protection and safety. And all of those things are good things to pray for. Paul's primary concern and the thing that he wants the the Philippians to take some joy in is even as he uh, is in jail, even as he is awaiting an uncertain future, he wants them to know and to take courage that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and that the heart of God is that his message of salvation for men and women, boys and girls, would advance. And that nothing... Stops that. Nothing stands in the way of that. So it's it's a pretty profound uh, thing for us to, to to get at. All of his uh, his plans had been thwarted, but God's concern to get the gospel out had not been thwarted. Right now, there's there's a lot of reasons why we suffer, and I we we need to t- talk about this just for a second. Paul actually is is there is suffering, but it's interesting as I studied this week as I read sermons, read commentaries, one of the words that gets used so much about what Paul is experiencing is the word languish. (laughs) Languish. He's languishing. He's languishing. No, he's not. He's not languishing. When I think of languishing, I think of like, oh, I'm just kind of... 
not doing that great, right? I'm just stuck and in my, you know, house here chained to a, a soldier and nothing, you know, I can't do anything, can't do any things I want to do and life is just terrible. Well, life is not great, but he's not languishing. Uh, his identity as a follower of Christ, his identity as someone in union with Christ, his identity as a proclaimer of the gospel is not stopped because of the situation that he's in. And so we, one of the things we have to see about that is, is that we suffer for all sorts of reasons. We, we suffer sometimes because uh, we, uh, uh, it's the uh, consequence of our actions. Sometimes we suffer simply because we live in a fallen world and it's come our way. But Paul is suffering not for any of those reasons. He is suffering because he is a proclaimer of the gospel, that he is engaged in the involvement of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, that is why he is uh, uh, locked away. And his concern, even as he struggles, even as I'm sure he is uncomfortable, even as I'm sure he is tempted at times to be afraid, even in all of those things, his concern and the thing that he wants the Philippians to know is, is that the gospel is advancing, right? So God is bringing suffering into Paul's life for the sake and spread of the gospel to have an effect on both, as we'll see, unbelievers and believers. That is, uh, that is, that, that, that's a, 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 a dramatic thing for us to think about. Um, you know, we, w- one of the things that often happens to us in, in our kind of context is that when we suffer, we want to know why, right? And it, 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 and we, when we reason with ourselves, if I can know why this has happened to me, uh, then I can kind of comfort myself and, and make some sort of sense or or that somehow or other we trust that as we walk through a period of suffering, that what God will do for us is as at some point in time, he's going to like, see, this is why this happened to you. Um, now, let me be clear about this. God is under no obligation to do that for you. OK, uh, Job is the primary example, right? He suffered so much loss. And though God comes and restores everything to him, God doesn't sit him down and say, Job, listen, you know, I had a bet with the devil and I won. <laughs> right? That's, that's, he doesn't, he doesn't have, which I don't know, would that have comforted you if you'd known that? I don't know, right? God, God doesn't do that, right? He's not, he's not under any obligation to do that. Uh, and we've, you know, we uh, we sing that song, that great song about your labor's not in vain. And the message there is true in Christ. Our labor's not in vain. But I'm here to tell you the truth of the matter is in this life, you may not see the fruit from your planting. Doesn't mean that it's invalid. But the fact of the matter is, you know, God is in charge of the production of fruit and he simply moves and places us uh, for for those purposes. And so there, as, as he suffers, the point of that suffering, Paul sees it, he understands it, is not for the comfort of other people, not for a, a, some sort of an example, but so that the actual kingdom of God, the gospel, would advance. Uh, it, is, it, it, it is a challenging thing to, to think that God actually would take suffering 
uh, take something that we want to avoid and use that for a redemptive purpose. But that's the very nature of the gospel. That God brings life from death. That God brings joy from sadness. That he takes what is ruined and makes new. Right? We see that. We see that all the time. And I, I, I don't. I, I want to be careful how I say this because it's anytime you say if this hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know that that's always accurate, but I do know that if we had not uh, suffered infertility, lost a child, I don't know that God would have moved us to plant a church. I don't know that. Maybe not. And so in some ways, I think the the work that God has done here over the last 27 years had some root and had some impact in the fact that we that we suffered a very difficult thing. Now, you know, I I um, I, I want to be very careful to those of you who are struggling with the loss of children, those of you who are struggling with with infertility, that uh, that may seem like a, a, a bitter pill. But the great news for us and the great news that Paul has is that even as he, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary ever, is, is away uh, from what he would consider his ministry, God still advances the gospel through him. And that happens. That's the way the gospel works. Suffering does not keep it from, from moving. Next slide. So what we note here is something that's some pretty dramatic things. Paul's dropping some hints here, right? So that he says that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The Praetorian Guard was a, a unit of about 9,000 soldiers uh, that were stationed there in the imperial palace in Rome. Uh, and the way Paul's imprisonment worked, Paul is likely not in a prison per se. He is likely in a house somewhere, but his imprisonment is 24 hours a day. He is chained to a Roman soldier. So when Paul goes to the bathroom, when he changes clothes, when he takes a bath, when he eats his meals, he is chained to a Roman guard. Wow. Right. It's a pretty profound uh, thing, thing to think about. And so over time, these guards would come in in different shifts. And so their being with Paul. Some of them have gotten converted and all of them have heard the gospel. There's been a witness there. Now, I, I know soldiers. There's one in my family. And I have to say, uh, and I am grateful for soldiers, and I think uh, every country uh, needs soldiers. As, as Winston Churchill said, you know, you need those rough men to stand between you uh, and the wolf, and that's good. But I'm here to tell you that many of the soldiers I know, particularly the younger soldiers that I know, uh, that uh, are um, not the people that I would assume first and foremost as uh, great prospects for the gospel. My, my son has been in Louisiana this summer, um, and uh, uh, two hurricanes have come over Fort Polk, Louisiana, where he is. Uh, and the first one that came over, that they were out of power for uh, uh, quite a lot of days. It was over 100 degrees. And he said, you know, life in the barracks for the enlisted guys is always kind of interesting. He's like, 
You don't want to know what's happened here the last five days in that barracks without any air conditioning or electricity. He used the word feral. I didn't even know he knew what that word meant. Uh, (laughs) So you can just imagine what life in that place was like. Well, these are the kind of guys that are hearing the gospel. Just be imagine, just imagine, well, if you can, being chained to a guy when you have to go to the bathroom. And not, you know, a sensitive kind of guy who's in touch with his feelings. <laughs> He's in touch with his sword and his armor and his, yeah, you know. And you're just a prisoner. You know? Uh, I can only imagine. Well, I can't imagine. It's just stunning. Well, even in all of that and that kind of intimate thing, whatever, ever how, however Paul is dealing with that, whatever he's doing, the verbal witness and the witness of his life is having an effect. Right? Now, Paul could have said, you know what? I am unjustly here. You guys are going to all rot in hell because of what you've done to me. Or he could have, he could have just, uh, as the commentary said, languished and like, woe is me. God has deserted me. But even in that, he takes his tormentors and his captors and he bears witness to them. Right? But he goes on to say here, right, that not only has the word gone throughout the whole imperial guard, but all, to all the rest. Well, who is all the rest? Well, we read over in, in uh, chapter 4 that Paul says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So Caesar thinks he's the most important person in the world, and he thinks that everybody in the world should know him, and Caesar thinks he is Lord, but the real Lord is actually in Caesar's household. He probably doesn't even know it, converting people. Knees are bowing in Caesar's household, not to Caesar, but to Jesus, because Paul's in prison. Right? What a, what a powerful thing. I mean, Caesar thinks he's the most important person in the world. And yet, this one who was born there in Bethlehem, this one who had to flee to Egypt, grew up in Nazareth, and spent all of his time, his life, his earthly life, in just such a small geographic area, is now changing what's happening in the very center of power in the world. Because Paul's in jail there in Rome. Right. So it's a pretty it's a pretty profound thing here. And so not only are these uh, 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 people who have never heard of Jesus hearing about him and getting converted, but he goes on to say, and most of the brothers, that is people who are already Christians here, have been become confident in the, in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How crazy is that? Because I am in jail, chained to a Roman soldier, and because the gospel is going forth here. Other people who are out here see that and they're like, wow, look at what God is doing through Paul. I am going to proclaim the gospel. Even if it means I end up like him, because what matters is that the gospel is advancing. That's a compelling vision. It's a compelling thing to think about, right? As as Martin Luther wrote in his great hymn, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, this bot, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. 
So there's such a compelling vision here of what it means to to know Christ and to make him known that the comfort and the certainty and the security uh, that we spend the vast majority of our time and energy on uh, pales in comparison to that. And sometimes God is so good to us that he takes away our security and our comfort so that what we have left is the gospel and only that can advance in our lives. Next slide. Um, another thing to note about this is, is that, that one of the things that happens to us, sometimes we, we, when we suffer, uh, and as particularly when we suffer in a way that we think is unjust or unjustly, one of the things that we think is that somehow or other this suffering is outside of, of what God is doing or it can't be something that he intends. But what Paul actually gets at here is that when you suffer, when you experience joy, when you experience sadness, when you, when you suffer, you do all of those things in union with Christ. In fact, the language that he uses here, the ES, uh, uh, ESV says uh, that he has become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment or much more. Uh, um, oh, no, no, no. In verse 13, he says, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that his chains even are in Christ. And so whatever comes to you, whatever whatever situation you find yourself in, you do it in union with Jesus. And so it affects you. It has its impact on you. But Jesus has an impact on that as well. And it has an impact because we are in union with one another, with all the rest of us. You see, our temptation often is that when we are confronted with someone else's suffering, as, as the Philippians here are conf- confronted with uh, suffering, is to think uh, Paul's suffering that it's just his or it's just someone else's. But when we are in Christ, we are, we are engaged and involved in suffering together. I, and, and, and you know this is true, that when someone remembers your suffering, when someone remembers your grief, when someone remembers your difficulty or whatever, even though they may not be able to alleviate that suffering because there's some kinds of suffering that only God can alleviate, what it does for us, right? It gives us this sense of joy and hope and and we experience the feeling of what it means to be united to other believers, right? And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, my chains really are Christ's chains and my chains really are your chains, Philippians. We're all in this together Because the gospel is what unites us, is what brings us together in the point of, and what God is doing in advancing it. It's a pretty, pretty powerful uh, thing uh, to think about. And the Philippians should receive this, and they shouldn't think, you know, what we need to do is we need to go uh, petition Caesar to let Paul go. I'm sure they wanted him released. I'm sure they wanted him to be able to see him again, to be able to talk with him, to hug him, to, to, to be with him. But uh, that is not the primary concern. The primary concern is for the advancement of the gospel. Because here's the thing. There are some kinds of suffering that only God can alleviate. And there are some kinds of suffering that the only way God alleviates that suffering is through death. God will alleviate Paul's suffering. He will relieve him of the burden of being chained to a guard. He will set him free to glory. 
right? But maybe not in the way in which we had dreamed or we had thought. And yet, the gospel advances. The kingdom of God advances. And that, in the end, is the thing that matters the most. You know, I am most compelled most of my time, and what I find most compelling and most interesting in the world is what's happening to me. Right? Uh, uh, and, and because that's what's most compelling to me and most, what's most interesting to me, my assumption is, of course, that's what's most interesting to God. Steve's story. How's Steve doing today? You know, uh, the Lord, I'm sure, wakes up every day thinking, how can I make Steve happier, healthier, better today? Right? That's, I mean, it, why wouldn't he? Right? When in fact, you know, the best place, the safest place, the most glorious place for the people of God is in that place where Jesus' gospel is advancing in and through us, regardless of our personal comfort, our personal uh, uh, enjoyment at, at the moment, right? I, I pray that God would give us a compelling vision of that and that he would free us. Uh, as, as, as Luther said, from uh, our uh, mortal lives, our kindred, our goods, uh, so that we would be compelled by the everlasting uh, uh, nature of the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Lord, uh, you know that we are weak and uh, that we are prone uh, to seek our own comfort above all else. Would you free us from that? Uh, would you help us today? Thanks so much, Lord, that the gospel advanced even into the very center of the empire uh, through the imprisonment of your servant Paul. And though, Lord, it is a, was a dark thing that those people did to him, you shone light in that prison uh, by uh, converting uh, people, by bearing witness to the truth of the gospel. Uh, Would you give us a taste of that, the compelling vision of that? Uh, And would you help us uh, uh, to see uh, and to take joy uh, above all in the advancement of your kingdom? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.